Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. How are you guys doing this morning? Is there a lot of energy in this room or what? We should have the kids sing every week. Uh, man, we're, we're so excited for Christmas Eve. Can you guys believe Christmas is only one week away? Wow. Um, we've had two countdowns going on in our house, and one of them ended last Thursday night. Anybody know what that was? The Last Jedi. Come on, guys. Man, we, we went with our home church, a bunch of people from church, and uh, it was a spiritual experience. You know, the, the theater was packed. People were so into it. I, I was just thinking, why can't church be like this every week, right? And it is. It's packed out in here. But, but I just want to encourage you, remind you, every now and then we say this, but be yourself. Like, you, this isn't a library. You don't have to be quiet. If, if you hear something that encourages you or you want to you speak up, I love it. So, uh, but man, seven days. There we go. Seven days till Christmas. Uh, Christmas Eve at Brave is going to be so exciting. Uh, if you're a guest with us and you've been joining us these last few weeks, uh, we've had some incredible guest speakers. Uh, but my name is Samuel, and I'm on the teaching team here at Brave. So this week I'm teaching. Next weekend, Pastor Darren will be teaching uh, a Christmas message. We're, we're going to have um, some awesome music and communion and candlelight, and it's going to be great. So, so please let us know if you're coming, because we actually already have hundreds of people that have RSVP'd. And that just really helps us serve you better, serve your kids better, make sure there's, there's room for everyone. So uh, but today, I want to begin with a story. Do you guys like stories? OK, so there's this young guy, and he grew up in Blackhawk. And not just, just Blackhawk, but like the wealthiest neighborhood in Blackhawk. His dad was an early investor in some tech companies out of Silicon Valley that you definitely would have heard of. And so him and his brother, they, they lacked nothing. OK, when they, when they turned 16, they were driving cars that, uh, that, that no 16-year-old should be driving. And they, they had, if they wanted to take lessons or play sports or anything like that, I mean, they got private lessons immediately. When it was time for them to go to college, all they had to do uh, was choose which school they wanted to go to because their dad had enough connections. He was willing to pay for it. I mean, they were just really set up. Okay. And so then one day, uh, the younger brother, he came to his dad and he said, Dad, I'm dropping out of school. And his dad's like, OK, well, you know, I mean, I d- dropped out of school, but I think you should finish. This is really important, and I, I am doing this for you. But he says, yeah, actually, and there's more. I want my inheritance now. And the dad's thinking, what a punk. Like, first you're dropping out of school. Now you want all my money. Like, no way. But, but he eventually decides to give it to him. Uh, he says there's some dreams he wants to chase, some things he wants to invest in, and, and some stuff he wants to do. So he decides to give it to him. And then he starts traveling the world. And he's staying at the nicest hotels, eating at the nicest restaurants. And instead of investing the money, he starts betting on sports games. He's gambling. Then he starts buying women. And then he gets into drugs. And it just gets worse and worse. And the next thing you know, he's wandering the streets. And he's dead broke. Okay, and he's not sure what he's going to do. So he's, he, he's trying to find food even. He's going to soup kitchens. And, and one day, he's thinking about it. And he realizes, you know, even the guys working for minimum wage at some of the companies my dad owns are doing better than I am. So you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to head home. I'm going to apologize and just see if my dad will take me back. He's got this plan. And so he, he's headed home, and he sees the house that he grew up in. He sees his childhood home where he lived like a prince his entire life. And as he's approaching the house, his dad is standing there on the front porch. He sees him. 
And then he just starts coming towards him. He's thinking, oh my gosh, my dad's going to kill me, right? No, but then he, then he wraps his arms around him and he welcomes him home and he's so glad to see him and he can't even get his whole speech out. All he can get out is, dad, I've messed up. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? His dad says, son, we're going to throw a party. Go shower. I'm barbecuing steaks. We're inviting the neighbors over. Everybody's coming. We're going we're gonna to celebrate because my son has returned. So they're out in the backyard. They're have, everybody's there. There's dancing. There's music. And his older brother comes home. And he drives up into the driveway. And he sees the lights. He hears everybody having a good time. And he thinks, what is going on? So he walks up to the, to the fence. And he peeks over to see. And, and, and there's his younger brother. He's returned, and he can't believe what he sees. In this moment, he's filled with rage. So he runs back to his car, and his dad, who saw him, who saw him peeking over the fence, runs out after him. And as he's driving down the driveway, he stops him, and he rolls down his window. And he tries to explain, but the brother says, Dad, I've been working for you my whole life. I've been faithful. I stayed. I haven't wasted anything. I've made more out of what you've given me, and you've never thrown a party for me. The dad says, son, you you don't understand. Your brother was gone. We thought he was dead. We didn't know what happened to him. But he's returned, so we have to welcome him home. Does that story sound familiar to some of you? It's based on a parable that Jesus told almost 2,000 years ago. And it's one of the most famous stories told in history. It's influenced art. It's influenced poetry, Shakespeare, movies, music. In fact, there's a famous painting that uh, art historian Ken Bailey, um, or Kenneth Clark, refers to as one of the most, uh, the greatest works of art ever painted. It's by Rembrandt. And you can see the, the meticulous detail. I mean, the, the shoes falling off, his ragged clothes, the father embracing him, the older brother looking scornfully. But it captures this raw emotion of the moment. And I think so much of why this story is popular is because we can all see ourselves in it. Regardless of which character you identify with or where you're at, we can all resonate with something from this story. And it so beautifully illustrates God's great love for us. So before we continue, let's pray. If you'll bow your heads and join me, God, I pray that as we, as we take a look at this passage this morning, a story that some of us have maybe heard many times, and for others, maybe it's the first time. But God, I pray that you would speak to us today as if we're hearing it fresh. God, I pray that you would, you would show us where we are in this story, where our relationship with you is, and that we would become closer to you in this time together. And God, I pray that some people would even find you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 15. And if you want to look it up on your phone, uh, you can follow along. Or if you brought a Bible with you, uh, it's also going to be on the screen behind me. But we're going to start with the first three verses. Uh, And then we'll jump down to where the story begins in verse 11. But the first three verses, they give us context. And context is really important, because if we don't understand uh, who Jesus is talking to, the situation, then we're not going to be able to see what he's trying to say. And so that's really important, because we don't want to make a story or something mean something that it really wasn't intended to mean. Um, That's how you end up with Westboro Baptist, right? (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, don't do that. Don't change the meaning. Okay, so this is really important. Um, he was talking to the Pharisees. And, and, and that might seem obvious, but you know, often I think when we approach this story, we, we usually tend to think of it as a story being told to prodigals. 
We tend to think of it as, you know, like a youth rally where all these, these students are going to repent and turn from their ways at the end of it. But it was more like he was talking to their parents. And so here he tells a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. And in verse 11, that's where we're going to pick this up. It says, Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And so right off the bat, this story begins with a bombshell. I mean, everybody listening would have gasped. Like, this is so scandalous, because this never happened. Uh, for two reasons. One, it was incredibly disrespectful. This is being told into a patriarchal society. Everything was, was definitely passed down very intentionally. And, and he was effectively saying to his father, the only thing you mean to me is what you can give me. And I want your stuff now. So that's what he's saying to his dad. And we have a hint of how painful this would have been in verse 12. It says that he divided his property. And the word used for property was bios, which was life. See, this land was your life. It was how you survived. It was your status in the community. So the younger son was asking him to tear his life apart. And then it also would have been illegal. I mean, there were all kinds of laws that would have uh, kept you from doing this sort of thing. If you did and you went and you wasted your money, uh, wasted the money, then when you returned, you would have been subject to a kazaa ceremony. Um, this was a cutting off ceremony. What they would have done is they would have, uh, the, the community would have come together and they would have got an earthen pot, filled it with corn and nuts, and then they would have broken it and shattered it in front of you and shouted, symbolizing you being cut off from the community. So in returning, you actually risked your own life. Um, Jesus had everyone's attention right from the get-go. Then in verse 13, it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a far country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Um, so there's some key words here to, to help us understand this. The, the first get together, that phrase, it was a financial term. And meaning that he turned everything to cash. So any property or things he inherited, he liquidated it all. And then it says wild living. Most translations, translations use the word prodigal. Uh, this, is, this term prodigal was used in the first century to describe someone who was recklessly extravagant, just recklessly spending uh, with no concern for the future. Everything was in the moment. There were no limits on his life. This guy was partying like it was his job, OK? And then the party stopped. But, he, but first, he lived a completely self-indulgent dream. Verse 14, after spending everything he had, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he goes from living this dream, this dream life, to feeding pigs. Like one minute, he's lining up shots at the party. The next minute, he's, he's feeding pigs. He's shoveling pig slop. And he can't even eat the food that the pigs are eating. He's so hungry that, that this food, it would have been like a Chipotle burrito bowl. Like, like that's how hungry he is. He's like, that looks so good. But what is Jesus doing here? He's painting a picture of what sin will do to your life. It reduces a person to eating pig slop. It destroys, it ruins, it brings brokenness, fragmentation, pain. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, don't be deceived. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5 through 9, it says, 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith self-control. For if you possess these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. So Peter's saying a lack of self-control is the same as having a lack of vision for your life. Um, sin is, is, is giving up what you ultimately want, what you desire in the future, and settling for, for what you can have now, for anything you can have now. It's laziness, it's pornography, it's gossip, it's overspending, it's an overeating addiction. And these things are just symptomatic of a person who's trying to fill a void, who's willing to, to turn to whatever promises to fill that void, even though it makes things worse. And so that's what we see happening to the prodigal. Um, you know, it's interesting to think that, that everything we do here is about following Jesus, that that's our mission, that we want to we help people find and follow Jesus, but that our lives are all about following Jesus. And that's a vision. That's a vision for life to follow Jesus. And it impacts every other aspect of our lives. It impacts our family. It impacts our relationships, our finances, our, our friendships, every, every aspect of our life. And that God desires, through following Jesus, to bless our lives. But what's interesting about that word blessing is, is especially in Western culture, in the American church, when, when you hear a preacher say, God wants to bless your life, first thing you think of is money. Right? You think, oh, the, you know, another business church, it's all about money, it's all about, you know, God, they're promising this through the religion or whatever, but actually, that's a really poor theology of blessing. See, blessing is so much bigger than your finances. But God needs to bless our lives, and what he does when he blesses our lives, when he blesses your relationships, and when he blesses your, um, your, your every part of your life, it gives you something to bless others with. See, God, God doesn't have a problem with people being rich. God doesn't have a problem with you being rich. God has a problem with you being greedy. God has a problem when you keep the blessing for yourself. See, God, from the very beginning, has had a vision that he's building a family that would be a blessing to the rest of the world by inviting them to join his family and experience the purpose and the fulfillment and the joy of life lived in relationship with him, a life lived with our creator. So then in verse 17, continuing, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. It says he came to his senses. A lot of people actually debate on what this means, what this meant, what kind of repentance was this. A Bible scholar, Ken Bailey, says it was really a practical, logical thing. He, he was straight out of options, right? And it's just like, what is, what's he going to do but go back to his dad and see if he'll take him in? Um, but if that's true, that's actually really good news for us. Because that means that what Jesus is saying is God's grace isn't dependent upon us having it all together. And it's not dependent on how profound your repentance is. See, some of you, maybe sins led you down a path, and it's taken you to a place uh, in your life or in an area of your life that you never thought you'd find yourself. And maybe you even feel kind of backed against a wall. Maybe there's things that you feel like you can't talk to anyone about, but you need a lifeline. And so what this means is that, that God is accepting you and I just where we are, that we don't need to get it all together or even understand the depth of our brokenness for him to, to, to receive us and accept us. I love Romans 5.8. This is one of my favorite verses 
It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he loves us when we have pig slop running down our faces. He loves us when we're a thousand miles from home. And he loves us when we don't know how to love him back. Jesus is saying we can run from God, but he runs faster. Which brings us to, to verse 20. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, while he was, while he was still a, a long way off, his father saw him. And I love that because what that tells us is that his father never stopped watching from his front porch. He never stopped looking and waiting for the day, every day saying, maybe this will be the day that my, my son comes home. He had compassion. He ran and embraced him. And that, that was totally unheard of, by the way. Men didn't, didn't run to their sons. They didn't, they didn't run. It was disgraceful. It would have been embarrassing. The, the neighbors would have seen. But he didn't care what anyone thought because he was filled with compassion and love. And he was so overjoyed that his son had returned. So what does he do? He gives him four gifts. And each of these gifts is symbolic of something. The first one, his, his robe was a symbol of his wealth. The second one, the, the ring, was a symbol of authority. He, he, after all of the bad decisions he'd made, he still had influence in his father's home. He gave him sandals, which was a symbol of status. Only, only servants wore sandals, or servants never wore sandals. And then the fatted calf, uh, which was only for times of celebration. So what we see here is that this isn't just a story about a prodigal son. It's a story about a prodigal father as well. See, as, as reckless as the son was with, with his father's wealth, uh, this father was equally as reckless in re returning him and restoring him and welcoming him home. And this is, this is a God. This is the God we worship, a God that is willing to do anything to make a way for his sons and his daughters to come home, a God who stops at nothing. No price is too high. And so, so here we are, and we think, OK, this is a happy ending. Right, But then the story takes a surprising turn. In verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother's come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And so the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out, and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So here's the irony in this story, is, is that the elder brother, 
He spent the most time with the father. He didn't leave. He stayed home. He was there. He was working uh, on the farm. And he was still completely disconnected from the father's heart. He didn't see things the way the father saw things. He didn't understand how his, pro- how his father could be so forgiving and so accepting and so welcoming. All he saw was through the lens of his judgment and his insecurities. He was so busy doing his own thing and taking care of the things that mattered to him that he didn't cultivate a relationship with his father. So you, so, so you can be attending church for many years and miss the heart of God. It's, it's a sobering reminder that you can be living this perfect, quote-unquote, Christian lifestyle. You can be, be reading your Bible every day. You can be going to, 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 to the gatherings on Sundays. You can be in a home church and still be disconnected from God's heart. See, Jesus is showing us two different stories, two different struggles, yet both used the Father to get what they wanted. Both were alienated from the Father. One was alienated by his badness, The other was alienated by his goodness. Both of them needed to come home. And this is where the story really would have begun to stung. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And in in the first few verses, they accuse him of doing something wrong. They accuse him of, of welcoming sinners and eating with them. And they don't like that. And so these stories were Jesus's response to that thinking. And what he's saying is, this is who God is. He's a God who welcomes sinners and he eats with them, whose heart bends to the hurting and the broken. And it's only the elder brother who has a problem with this. So this leads us to a simple question. Which brother are you? You know, are you you the partier? Are you the one that's kind of lost right now, that's kind of doing your own thing and, and it's time to come home? Or are you the the older brother that's that's doing everything right? that's becoming self-righteous, that's viewing yourself as better than your other brothers and sisters. Whatever your story, whatever your situation, this parable meets all of us where we're at. So you might not be extremely one of those two, or maybe you do resonate with that. A lot of us, I think, are probably somewhere in the middle. Sometimes we're the older brother. Sometimes we're the younger brother. But what's so profound and what we have to get is that God's heart is for people and that he welcomes everyone home, that none of us have... Uh, a thing to stand on in our own righteousness. And there's a powerful story uh, that we filmed recently of a man in our church. His name is Steve Conley. And he's sitting right here in the, in the front row. Um, and, and it's an incredible story of God's reckless love for someone that desperately needed to be loved. Check this out. Great. Well, my name is Steve Conley, and I'm a grateful believer of Jesus. Well, uh, about seven months ago, my wife uh, discovered some, some history on my computer, sexual content that I've been looking at. And I, uh, I, I told her it wasn't a problem. I've been looking at it, but it wasn't something that I was, that was a problem for me. And so she uh, uh, believed me, and um, uh, I thought that was over with. And we, uh, that weekend, I, I w- went up to our house in Lake Tahoe with my uh, sons and my, and my brother to have a great weekend of snowboarding. And after I got back from that day of snowboarding, I got a, a text from my wife to call her. 
she had uh, got into my my phone records and looked at some texting that I've been doing and some calls and found out that I hadn't I hadn't been truthful to her. So she uh, said she, she knew everything and that I needed to confess this to my children and my brothers. I, I started to tell her what, what my secret life had been through this secret sin that I've been going through. I felt that my wife, my life was uh, crashing down around me, that I'd been found out. Growing up in a dysfunctional family, my father introduced me to pornography at uh, a young age. Took my brothers and I to uh, uh, a brothel and uh, was something that uh, it was carried with me through my my. Uh, uh, adult life that looking at pornography was was something that uh, everyone did and that um, it was a secret that I kept from my wife and, and um, wasn't hurting anybody. About five years ago, I, um, I took it to uh, another level. It was so shameful. So the next day we drove, drove home and my wife was just devastated. It was, it was, uh, it was like I shot her. She was just numb. She was just numb beyond tears. And uh, she told me that I needed to to confess to my children and my brothers, which I did. It was the hardest thing that I, I ever had to do was to share with them that I had been unfaithful to their mother. She just kept saying, "You need to get help." And uh, the next day, I uh, went to my church and my pastor laid hands on me and prayed over me. And uh, shortly thereafter, my wife and I got on a plane and flew to Colorado, where we uh, went through a three-day intensive counseling. And the big part of this, this session was disclosure, getting all my sins out. I took a lie detector test. To, to, to make sure that there was no secrets left. Because if, if Satan can, can keep a secret in there, then he can build on that. So I gave her everything. I t- told everything that I had been doing, which was, I just thought there's no way this, this woman could ever love me, forgive me. And so we got back on a plane, flew back home, and I started to uh, use the tools that I was given. I started going to celebrate recovery. I started going through the Conquer study series, which was amazing, and started learning about this addiction and what it's doing to men. It's a secret sin that is destroying men in the church. It's destroying men on this planet. I am so thankful for the tools that were given to me. I'm so thankful for the the accountability partners that I have teamed up with to help me through this. I am so thankful for my church in supporting me. And more importantly, I'm so thankful for Jesus forgive me. My wife who has forgiven me, who she said to me that I, I couldn't forgive you, but Jesus told me to forgive you. 
I look at my wife now and she's the most beautiful person on the planet. She's so beautiful and so loving. I know God has, has, has put on my heart that uh, to share my story, to share with other men that are struggling with this, that there is freedom. And I got to tell you, man, freedom. Without sin in your life, without any secrets that, that are, are hidden here, it's going to blow your socks off. There's two Bible verses that have been just so dear to me. And one is Philippians 4.13. And I put a tattoo on my arm here to remind me every day that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Because I couldn't be sitting here today telling this story without him. In John 8.36, the sun sets you free. You're free indeed. And I have a whole new meaning of a freedom now. And then there's a broken part of this chain here. It's part of my sin that has been broken. So I leave with this, leave you with this. God wants you to have freedom. What a, what a powerful story. Uh, man, I was just, I, every time I watch it, it's just so, uh, so moving, but it's, I just can't help but think, man, without the bravery of Steve being willing to share his testimony like this, I mean, guys, that's not easy. That's a, that's a brave thing to do. And of course, Liz, the bravery to, to forgive and, and to stick it out. Uh, I love that line where um, I love what Liz said about uh, how I couldn't forgive you, but Jesus told me to. That's the gospel, you guys. That, that, yeah. That's, that's the reckless love of God. And that's the love that's available to you. That's available to, to me. That's available to every one of us. That there's no sin that's too great. There's no secret that's too big. That there's nothing that can keep you from that love and that forgiveness and that acceptance if you decide to come home. Uh, Steve's going to be available if, if any of you, any men, any, anyone that w- would like to talk with him, he's got some materials. There's a group uh, that meets uh, that Pastor Josh started on Tuesday nights for men that are finding freedom in that area. Um, so I just want to invite you, make that available to you. Uh, but here we are, right? Here we are. And for some of you, God is saying, will you come home today? It's time to come home. And what happens is, is when we, when we decide to, and we start approaching the house, what we find is not a God who's going to say, I'm going to rub your face in this. I can't believe you did this. You really messed up. No, we find a God who's ready to forgive us and who's ready to celebrate. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I just, I just pray for every person here, every son and daughter that is so, so loved by you. And maybe they feel inadequate or undeserving. That's because we are. But God, I pray that as you speak and as you call out to them, it's time to come home, that they would feel your presence and they would feel your love as they walk towards you, as they take those first steps. So if you're here today and that's where you're at and it's time to come home and you're ready to come home, I'm not gonna call you up here or embarrass you, but I just want you to raise your hand so I know that 
that that's what's happening in your heart, that that's the decision you're making. Let's go ahead and put your hands up. Put your hands up. That's awesome. Maybe you're here today. We're going to pray in a moment, and then we're going to respond in worship. But maybe you're here today, and uh, you've been praying for someone for a long time, someone in your family or your friends. And maybe the holidays even really brings that out, uh, that we can pray for that, that they would return home. If that's, if that's you, raise your hand so we, so we know we can pray for them. That's awesome. Yep. God sees those people. He's, he's running faster than they can run from him. God, we thank you this morning. Uh, we thank you that we can gather around your word, that we can be encouraged, but that we can see truth, that we can see truth and we can see how much greater your love is than the things that would try to separate us from you. So God, I pray that as we continue to walk with you, to follow you and to build a community that that, that isn't shocked by sin, but that welcomes people wherever they're at and helps them find freedom and relationship with you. So God, I just thank you for this time. And I pray that as we worship you, that we would be filled with your love, that we would become aware of your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.